The following program was pre-recorded on WFAN. It's time for Hello, My Name is Craig, our weekly candid conversation about gambling addiction. It's supported by the Council on Compulsive Gambling of New Jersey, 800-GAMBLER. Now, here's Craig Carton. Good morning and welcome to another edition of Hello, My Name is Craig. Great to have you here. Uh, Craig Carton with you, as always, joined by Dan Trelaro, formerly the New Jersey Council on Compulsive Gambling, better known to you as 1-800-GAMBLER, now with uh, Epic Risk Management. And joining us on the horn today is a uh, another gambler in recovery, and this is Ed. And uh, Ed, uh, we appreciate you coming on. Thank you for sharing your story with us. Greg, thank you so much, and I really appreciate what you're doing, and I'm honored and humbled to be here. Thank you. So, I, first question, let me just say good morning to you as well, Dan. How are you? I'm doing well, Craig. Good morning. How are you? Great, thanks. So, Ed, how long have you gone without wagering? Uh, I'm I'm just under 11 years, uh, so wow. it's, it's it's been a while. My date is February 27, 2011. Oh, that's right. Congratulations on that. That's awesome. Let's uh, let's go way back. Uh, how did it start? You remember uh, memories uh, vivid of the first time you were exposed to gambling? Yeah, you know, um, my 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 dad owned a bar in Bayonne, New Jersey, and and I, I just saw it at a young age. I, I honestly, I think the you know one of his proud moments was teaching me how to read a pitching line. Sure. Uh, so and 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 I would watch him win and I'd watch him lose and I'd watch guys come and collect money and he would just tell me that's part of the game and it was just it was almost ingrained in me as a young kid and you know every, every young kid wants to be like his dad so you pick up both good habits habits and bad. What was it cool to you uh, that kind of thing like obviously you idolize your dad and I'm sure having a bar and being in a bar a lot as a kid was interesting and very normal to you but uh, I wondered if you felt that there was like a I don't know, a, a cool factor in being a kid who knew how to do that kind of stuff. It, it kind of was, you know, it was, it, it, it was, there was the, the action side that I saw. I, I would see, you know, the, the highs and lows and the cheering and the hooting and hollering. And uh, yeah, you, you know, as a kid, you gravitate towards stuff like that. You want to, you want to be in, you want to be part of the crowd. You want to be in the mix. And, yeah. Um, but I tell you that the, the other end of it were, you know, working at a bar when I'm in my teens, working at a kitchen and having guys come in a kitchen looking for my dad and, and looking at their faces and realizing their body language, it wasn't a good thing. So, um, well, and, you know. that, that, that's what interests me most. Like I always thought I just, I knew better than to get involved as deep as I did and to, you know, develop ultimately uh, the compulsive nature and desire to gamble because I'd been involved in gambling literally since I'm single digits years old, I owned an offshore casino. I knew the perils of gambling. I saw guys, you know, make bad decisions with bad people, et cetera, et cetera. And I always said to myself, well, I know what that looks like. I'm never going to go there. And obviously, ultimately, I did. So I, I, I bring that up to you because you saw guys win, but you saw guys lose. You saw guys coming, you know, looking for your dad because he had a debt. And yet you went down the road anyway, yeah? Yep. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those. If, if we if we, took, if we if we peeled the layer back and looked at it on the surface, it sounds exciting and, and cut, but it, you know it came down to the emotional part of it, that disconnect I had with my dad. Um, you know the the, the 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 abuser becoming the abusee. I mean that's sure that's the the path I went down, and and I never really owned like that part of the relationship, and I always covered it up with comedy or being the funny guy or just kind of direct the attention away from myself and never really worked on myself. 
and ultimately came back to bite. Dan, there's a lot of that, right? Like, there's, you know, guys like me, guys like Ed, who saw all the negative aspects of gambling, enough so that we would have known better. Well, we're not going to let ourselves get that far, get that deep, get involved with those types of people, those types of situations, and yet we do. Is there is there a reason for that that experts have come up with or no? Well, you know, we always know that gambling is biopsychosocial, right? There's so many components, you know, genetic component, biology, environmental, but I couldn't help but just think about the adverse childhood experiences. There's a lot of work that's done on something called the ACEs study, and it takes a look at, like, uh, I guess childhood experiences, both the negative and the positive experiences that you have as a child, can help shape how you view situations in the future. And, you know, it almost sounds like, and to some degree, Ed, it was the, the positive experiences that you felt emotionally and internally and how you processed them outweighed the negative experiences of seeing people, you know, coming to look for your father. So that's just one of many different perspectives. But that's the one that really jumped out to me as I'm listening to, uh, you know, Ed share. Got it. All right. So, Ed, so you're, you're, you're a teenager. You're now, I assume, at some point you're starting to gamble your own money. You're playing tickets in school, et cetera. When does it become more than just a recreational thing for you? Well, it's funny. My, my, mine was a little later because what happened is I had gotten into therapy shortly thereafter. And I've come to realize when I gravitated towards good things like therapy, I gambled like a normal person. I could go to Atlantic City. I can do a football pool. I can lay an occasional Super Bowl bet. Maybe I bet three, four times a year like a normal person. Sure. But I got away from therapy and, and, things, and, and the pressure started to mount. Um, I reverted back to those old behaviors, and it kind of blew up my face. And like every other gambling story you hear, I had a successful first month. I made a ton of money. I thought I was smarter. Like we said, you know, even though we gravitated towards it, I tricked myself into believing I was smarter than than the guys who set lines. I was a I was a I was a sports book player, and and I was under the guise of I can do this and quote unquote supplement my income. <laughs> it's it's it, it was it was a sick cycle I was in, and it slowly but surely kind of took over. I mean, little by little. So my story's a little different. I got away from it for a good decade, and then it started to creep back in as things didn't break my way, and right. and I, I tried to offset and supplement what I was doing with gambling, and it ultimately came back and almost cost me everything. Was it an outlet for you to escape something? It was, you know, you know, I, I always had, I always had a, would have come, you know, the sad thing about this, Craig, is a lot of gamblers don't really understand the spiritual side of this thing. They only get the transactional. So they'll only get, yeah, I stop gambling and I do this. I call them 112ers. They do step one, step 12 and right. kind of damage everything in between. But if you really grip the, the, the spiritual side of this and the learning about yourself side of this, I come to realize that it was just, it was me trying to compensate for a relationship I never had with my dad. He walked out when we were two weeks old. When I was two weeks old, um, I felt odd. It was the 70s. It just wasn't common back then. You kept everything behind closed doors. My mom was too strong willed to put me through that. But just having that, that missing component in my life, mm-hmm. I always tried to, and I used it as a crutch. I always try to cover it up, and I always used it as a crutch and to pour me and pour me and pour me and point at a finger. But someone eloquently pointed back when you point a finger three point back at you. So, um, you know, I had to eventually own this. And luckily, and I say this, I, I'm as grateful as can be. Luckily, I found this, this program, the right people in my life, because now I do own it and, and things have never been better. So what was your game of choice? And uh, if, you, if you don't mind, 
uh, walk us through what a day was like when you were in the in the in the the heart of you know the addiction. Put it this way: I was a sports better. Um, I bet on everything. So it de- my day would be, I, I wouldn't be able to sleep because my sleep was already interrupted. Um, I would try and get to the lines as quick as possible to see what was moving and what was not. Um, I would, you know, put a bet in as early as possible because I was convinced that lines were going to move and right. I was smarter. And you know what's funny, funny Craig? If, if you actually took my first bet, I was probably about a 90% winner. It's the other 100 that followed that. Uh, which, ended, which ended up being right. losers and costs. Yep. I just didn't have to do it normally. And then it would lead me into, there was a point where I was betting on Russian highlight games at 3 o'clock in the morning where my sports book was actually saying to me, dude, are you kidding me right now? I'm only laughing because uh, there were there were nights uh, I bet on Tijuana dog racing. Because I could I could access it online, and I've told this story a few weeks ago. I once bet on a French Open tennis match and didn't know who was playing. Yeah, yeah. Same, same. I was betting on I was betting <laughs> on Russian highlight matches. <laughs> yep. Name, the name on the left, please. Yeah, I got yeah, you. Liga Mex for me. It was Mexican League soccer, which I knew nothing about, but I thought I had a feeling. Yeah, and it wasn't even a feeling. It's just you wanted to have the, you know, I'm 50-50 shot I win today, right? And I could use the 500 bucks, whatever the case was. So at the at the heart of it, before we get into the recovery, um, financially, you uh, borrowed money, had no money, spent all your money. You know, how did you get? How did you uh, maintain uh, the gambling financially? Great, great, great question. If if I concentrated on my career as hard as I did beg borrowing and stealing and conniving money out of people, um, I, I'd be a multi-multi-millionaire 10 times over right now. I, I, I went through my money, and then I just cooked up these Ponzi-type schemes to borrow as much as I possibly could, get my hands in as much as I could. Um, and, and, and from people, I mean, high-end attorneys, like people that you just don't borrow money from, and by the grace of God, somehow I didn't end up in prison, but ultimately... I, it's funny when when the bow broke, and and which which is a great story how I landed in in my own intervention. Well, let me stop you right there because I want to hear what the the low moment was that made you decide to wake up and get help. We're talking to Ed and of course Dan Trelaro over at Epic Risk. Uh, this is a hello. My name is Craig. A frank, honest, open conversation about gambling and gambling addiction, and we'll continue on right after this. Back to more of Hello, My Name is Craig on The Fan with your host, Craig Carton, and supported by the Council on Compulsive Gambling of New Jersey, 800-GAMBLER. Welcome back to Hello, My Name is Craig. Ed, where we left off there, you're about to tell us, you know, the the worst moment ever in gambling, the moment that made you wake up and say, I need help. What was it? So, so Earl, I'll give you the date. It was, it was, it was, it was late February. It was about February 25th. I believe it was a Monday night. Sunday or Monday night, I can't remember the actual night. Um, I had gone 0 for 3. I was already 10,000 in the hole. Uh, I, my house was being foreclosed on. I had just got my Range Rover back, which was repossessed for the third time. I went through all my savings. I went through all my money. And I remember just being being already in the hole to start the week. And, and I looked over at my 11-month-old son. And he was asleep in his carriage. And my wife was working at night. She was she owned her own yoga studio. And I went out on my back deck, and it was full moon that night, and never forget. I just fell to my knees, cried my eyes out, and I asked God for help for the first time. I didn't want to win. I didn't want to be evened up. I needed guidance. I need help. Uh, someone, please shoot a star across the sky. Let me know you're there. 
Uh, and it didn't happen. I woke up the next day and I, I lied to myself like every compulsive gambler does. And I said, you know, I'll close my lines. I'll do this. The whole macho routine, trying to talk myself out of it. You'll pull out of this. You're smarter. Right. I had no way. Uh, that Wednesday, a friend of mine called me back to my house and said, something happened. You need to come home. And I walked in and 12 people were sitting around my kitchen table who saw something in me. I just couldn't see it myself. And I, I, I cried my eyes out. Like, and 20 who organized that? Your wife or a buddy? My wife, my friend, and the guy who was on the phone with you last week, Arnie W. Wow. Um, oh. And he, yeah, it was, it was pretty powerful. And, you know, I, I looked at everybody and I said, we can go around and tell me what I did to each of you. I know what I did. Um, and basically they said, listen, we think you'll be okay at home, but we need you to go take a time out. We want you to go away. Uh, just to give your wife a break, give you a break. You guys need to really, you know, get. And I did. And I, I, I you know, I, with with before in in like like in a whirlwind of gambling, but in a whirlwind of recovery, I was on a plane that night. Did you fight it though when you when you walked into that intervention you weren't expecting? Did you start off that meeting by saying you guys are out of your mind? No, I I, just, I looked around mm. and started crying. I knew. Yeah. I mean, I, I there was. As crazy as this sounds, Craig, there was a sense of relief. There was a weight off my shoulder. Yeah. Meanwhile, everyone knew. I acted like no one knew when I was keeping this a big secret. Right. Everyone knew. Everybody yeah, that's interesting. Like, I've said this. It's funny. You know, the parallels that we have, you know, having never met. It, you know, the ego out of control. I'm the best guy that's ever handicapped sports or, you know, played blackjack or whatever the case may be. No one else could possibly understand how I process it. And then, I, you know, I denied it, denied it, denied it. And it wasn't until I was in a room with 12 strangers, forget about loved ones, you know, who, as I've told the story many times, it was like they stole the thoughts and feelings out of my body when they went around the room. And it wasn't until then that I was then willing to say, okay, you know, I, I clearly there's something going on and I'm not right. You know what I mean? So mm -hmm. you, yep. you had the benefit of, of having uh, an amazingly supportive wife, it sounds like, and friends. Yeah who recognized there was something going on and weren't going to let it get worse on their watch. And, and my, my wife, you know, my wife is the sweetest. She's so nice that people think she's phony, but this is who she is. But she was stern. At that point, she looked at me and said, you can either kiss your son goodbye for 11 months, uh, you know, 11 months old goodbye for a month and go get help, or you can kiss him goodbye forever. And yeah. I remember being, and mm. that was the best part. I remember, meanwhile, all the finances are laid out on the table. My house is in ruins. I've destroyed everything. And I remember her, like, almost that, how dare you, for a split second. Then I came back to reality and said, oh, my God, what have I done? And, and it, it all came to a head. And I remember, I remember when I got to my first meeting in Florida, this guy named Stuart who had passed away. God, God rest his soul. He's a wonderful guy. He looked at me and he knew. He said, you look like damaged goods. You're going to be okay, kid. And he said, tell me your story. And we talked a little bit. And he said something to me which is really prolific. He said, listen, he goes, think of, think of this as a handgun. He goes, environment loads the gun and, and your surroundings pull the trigger. He goes, you were bound to screw this up. He goes, I'm just glad you did before you did something really, really stupid. And he said to me, you know what, Ed? You're going to be okay. And that just, just that I, I realized at that moment, I was at the right place where I needed sure. to be, found the people I needed to be. How long did it take you to kind of shed, if you had it at all, the, the shame that came with the admission, hey, I'm an addict? Um, I would say the first, the first six months of my recovery was brutal. Um, it was really brutal because 
at that point in my life, I, I, I think you hit the nail on the head. I, my, I was an egotistical maniac, and, and I, I just wasn't up to suggestion. And someone gave me really good advice. First, do the opposite of what you think for the first two years of recovery, hmm. which I still, I still utilize to this day. And number two, just listen to suggestions. Whatever they tell you to do is crazy. It sounds just do it. So following that path, it put me down probably the most the, 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 the thorniest road I've ever walked down. I got t- torn to shreds and dragged across the concrete. So coming to terms with that, I think I was okay with never gambling again. I just wasn't okay with I'm about to embark on an adventure where I have to look in the mirror and deal with my isms and deal with my shortcomings and deal with those character defects that for 39 years I just never did. And, yeah. and now, now face them head on or this is all for nothing. Yeah, you know, it's funny. Dan and I talk about this a lot. And I, I'm sure I'm a broken record for those people that listen to this show every single week. It, the amount of available brain space I have without gambling is beyond any <laughs> anything I oh, ever no. could have imagined. Just like not worrying about this, not you know contemplating where I'm gambling next, where I'm getting money from, how much I'm blah 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 blah, and the amount of brain space that opened up is yep. immeasurable, one, and then two, and uh, this is a, a bit of a work in progress, it was when I first you know, decided to get help and acknowledge that I needed help, is just being honest about everything mm-hmm. is one of the most freeing things I've ever experienced in my life, and it seems like it's a no-brainer, like you learn it in kindergarten when your mom and dad say, <laughs> you know, don't lie, be honest, be, that kind of stuff, but once you live it, it's awesome. It's a totally different perspective. And, you know, I, I, I was thinking a little bit about what it said. You know, when I went into the rooms, one of the challenges I had and why it took so long was how do, how do other people whom I've never met know what's best for me? So how am I going to take advice? They don't know who I am. They don't know me. And it's that ego all starts creeping up. But the, the, the moral of the story was they do. They know because they've been exactly where I've been. Sure. And they do know what's best for me one step at a time. So, you know, for me, and Ed, I'll get you taking this before we let you go. So I've been more than three years without gambling, uh, and and I feel like I'm not going to ever gamble again. I wouldn't guarantee that, but I feel like I, I've, I'm in a good place regarding that. But I'm at, I'm at this weird stage now where things will come up, situations will arise, places, whatever it may be, where I'm reminded about something I had totally forgotten, an experience in life, a moment, you know, a person, a place, a gambling situation that I never told anyone, and frankly, that I had forgotten about. I don't process not in the back of my head. And I find that that's happening more often now, and I'm not sure if that's a good thing or if it's a bad thing that I'm being reminded of things I did that I would forgotten about. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if you experienced that also, Ed. I have. And you know what? I think it's a great thing. I, I think yep. there were two pivotal, I think it, there were two pivotal moments in my career. I, and I, honestly, I think what you said, something pretty funny, you, your, your brain space opens up, the cobwebs clear, the Rolodex just stop flipping around in your brain, which I honestly think opens you up to a lot more interpretation. It, it opens you up to a lot more signs because they're there. We just have, we just, we close them off because we're worried about money, career, this, that, your kids. When, when you kind of open your brain to this part of it, I've been put in situations where I got to tell my story. Um, I got to I got to put myself in really uncomfortable. I got comfortable being uncomfortable, talking about gambling to folks I didn't know, talking about people at work. Um, you know what recovery looks like, what it's done for me, 
And I just had like this pivotal moment. I remember I was put in that situation um, with 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 a counselor. There was a there was a counselor down there called the Spirit Woman, and she was, in my opinion, I was looking at it back then like she was out of her mind. But again, I, someone said to me, just do the opposite, just go with it. And I remember having a a session with her about three weeks in, and she sat down with me and said, "Listen, she goes, I don't know what you've gone through personally. I can't I can't give you." that personal advice. But what I can tell you is my son shot himself by accident and I survived the rape. And she said, I tell you this for a reason. Not, I'm not comparing. What I'm telling you is you, you have the ability to live your life right from this point on. You, you have to look at your recovery a certain way. You can either look at recovery as, oh my God, I'm in something. I'm going to hide it. I'm going to shame it. I'm going to keep it down. And you're going to forget all those bad things you did. Or you can look at it as this is the ticket. This is the price I had to pay, the ticket I had to stamp to live a great life going forward. And I remember that being so impactful. So every chance I got, one of those ones I forgot, which brings me to a long version of the story, is I bumped into someone on the way to the city on a ferry. And I remember I borrowed money from these two, and they were real wealthy, a nice couple, and I hadn't seen them. And I bumped into his wife on the ferry, and she started with, hey, oh, my God, has Marie, has the kids. And I said, listen, I said, stop really quick. I said, I'm in recovery, and this is what I was about four or five years in. I said, I have about five years recovery in now. I am so sorry. I never really got a chance to apologize for mm. what happened. My life is great now. The kids are great. My relationship with my life. And I remember she just cried her eyes out. Sorry. And uh, she said, it means nothing. I'm just really happy for you and everything you've gone through. And uh, it was just one of those really impactful conversations that yeah. today, when I see her, um, it's just, I don't know, you just, you get to let all this stuff go. And uh, it's, it's wonderful. I mean, I, I owe everything. And I have a pledge that I just carry this forward. Every chance I get, I talk. Every event I can speak and I speak. The six guys I sponsor, they just, they tackle life now. And, and, and they help me as much as I help them. And I started my own meeting in Red Bank. And, and I, I, I've done, I, I do as much as I can. Sure. Someone, someone gave it to me. I, I really appreciate. It. I, I respect yeah. the uh, the emotion there. Uh, we've all been through it, you know, with people that, you know, we thought we may have lost forever, and uh, you know, bumping into them, uh, you know, it's life changing for sure. But before we right. let you go, and I, I like to end the show this normally, yep. you know, there there are a lot of people listening right now who uh, either have a loved one that's about to take step one, or they hope will take step one, and people themselves who are now acknowledging, hey, I got a problem, I need help. But they're at the very beginning of it, and it seems daunting and overwhelming, and the walls are kind of caving in. And I think it's important that while we talk about our past and the bad decisions we made and how the addiction ruined relationships and finances and all that, that once you are willing to accept the fact that you do have a problem, that there is a real bright light at the end of that tunnel. And I would hope that you could share with people who are at day one uh, that they can get to where I'm at, where you're at, where Danny's at, and I just wanted you to possibly share a thought on that. You could, you could, you can live, you can live the life you always dreamed, minus gambling. I, you, everything you want, God's not going to give you everything. He's going to give you what you need, and everything you want is waiting on this side. And another great piece of advice I got, which is really impactful for the young people and the older people who are be struggling, or if you're just coming in, like Craig said. The miracle is in the work you're not doing. Once you get to work at this, once you peel your sleeves back, once you once you once you buy into the philosophy, 
and, and really listen to people and, and do the opposite of what you think and take lead and let someone else drive the bus, you're going to realize just it's a slow evolving process, but it's a wonderful, wonderful life. You can do anything you want. You just can't gamble. Hey, listen, I can't be a linebacker for the Giants. Right. I can't be a <laughs> Yeah, and, and, I, and I'll tell you this: uh, one of my closest, dearest, the most loyal friends in the world said something to me literally yesterday, uh, and he's he's a religious man, and he said to me, "Just remember that every saint started as a sinner." Yeah, so true. So true. Good point. And, you know, it, you know, you, the bad things you did in life don't have to define you as long as you're willing to put in the work to change those things. So, Eddie, I really appreciate your story. If I can ever return the favor. I'm uh, I'm happy to do it, and I think more people like us that share their stories uh, and their stories of redemption as well uh, make the world a better place to make it a lot easier for people who are at stage one. So thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story. Appreciate it. I'm, I'm honored and humbled. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks. Danny, Thank always you. good talking to you. Uh, I know you didn't have a lot to say this week, but Ed's story was, uh, was moving for sure. So well, let's do it again uh, next Saturday at 930. Sound good? That sounds great. That was great to hear for Ed's story, too. I look forward to it, Craig. All right. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Evan Roberts is next, and Evan and I will be back together again Monday at 2 o'clock. Enjoy the rest of your weekend, and thank you for listening to Hello, My Name is Craig.